The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I am so happy to be with you. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're live right now. It is Wednesday. It is April 13th. And today on the show, in just uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we're going to have Eustacia Cutler. And if you have not been with us before when we have had her on, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. I just posted on Facebook and I said, I'm talking to my hero this morning live. I'm going to try not to get emotional, but you know, there are so many people on this journey that you, you get influenced by them. You, you hear their message, you hear their story, and it sets you on a path that's better for you. That's better for the people that you love. And Eustacia Cutler, who like, don't, <laughs> don't even get me started. Right. Uh, you know, that on, on Monday, we're going to have Dr. Temple Grandin joining us again. And we've had the pleasure of having her on the show with us many times. And I'm so looking forward to having her live on Monday and having you guys talk to her. And, and Temple is someone that I just admire so greatly. And anytime I get to be around her, it fills me and it lifts me up. But I, I said for years, I said, but the person who levels me, who absolutely levels me is, who is my hero is her mom. Um, because she put the footprints in the snow that all of us could follow. Um, and she did it with dignity and with grace and a time when nobody else was there to show her. So I just have so much respect and love and admiration for this woman. And she's going to be here with us. And you will see she is she's a writer and a poet and, the, and she speaks and it's just like the heavens crack open. And <laughs> it's a remarkable thing. So I'm so excited uh, about having her join all of us and the opportunity for you guys to be able to have conversations with her as well. We are live, and uh, that means that we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and um, so many other places. And Traven's going to start to show you the many places so that you guys can start to participate because the chat is now open. Parker has already written in and said that I did hear that Gilbert Gottfried had uh, passed away, and and he was a great champion for the autism community, and um, and so we are we are mourning the fabulous. Uh, Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried this morning, such a devastating loss and and so relatively young too, with young kids. So thank you, Parker, for reminding us uh, to say something about him this morning. I also want to uh, mention that uh, Traven is showing you all those places that we're live right now. Don't forget that this show is a, a, available as a podcast later on today. Pretty much everywhere that you get your podcast is a free download. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide for the second year in a row. We're so thrilled uh, and honored and humbled by that. We know that it's because of all of you, because you've watched, you've liked, you've shared, you've reviewed, and we just... We want to continue to be a free resource here. And so we hope you'll continue to do that. Uh, you know, I love me some, uh, <laughs> you want to, want to make my day, give us a review on iTunes. Even if you don't like what we said here, give us a review on iTunes. I don't know why, but the algorithm is such when you review us on iTunes, so many more people get to know about us. And you know, we don't have the budget here to advertise. We don't do that. Uh, I mean, we're starting to in a very small way, but we don't really have the budget to do that. So. In any case, we we hope that uh, you guys will help us to get the word out that if people want to come here, our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. It's just that simple. And we are here for the entire autism community, which starts with people who are on the autism spectrum, but includes everyone who loves them. Right. And together, while we may not agree on very much, we will agree on the rights uh, for individuals who are on the autism spectrum, the, the, the dignity that should be afforded to those people, the opportunity uh, that should be the same as it should be for anyone else, plus supports that make sense for the things that they want, that are mindful and listening. Those are all the things that I think we can agree on. And then we can disagree on absolutely everything else, because everyone in that big community is an individual. We all have different needs, wants, concerns, right? Uh, we don't have to agree on everything. We can have differing opinions on just about everything else. 
Uh, but together, our voice is loud and should be heard throughout the world about the rights and the dignity of people on the autism spectrum. So there we go. Uh, I always remind you guys at the start of the show that I, I host. I'm not an expert in autism. My role, I'm a pony. This is, <laughs> this is my new thing. I'm a pony. I'm so happy. Pony stands for Parent of Neurodiverse Individual. And sometimes I refer to myself as a pony when I'm feeling very fancy, which is a parent of a neurodiverse adult individual. I'm very proud of those designations and it, those feel proud to me. Uh, my words that I've used to describe myself have changed just like the words that my son has used over the years have changed and we, we morph, but now I am a pony and, and I'm very excited about that. So that's what my credentials are. It doesn't make me an expert in autism. What it makes me is someone who cares deeply about you and the path that you and your loved ones are on. So please write into us. The chat is open and let us know, you know, questions that you have, concerns that you have. We welcome everyone. We just keep it civil, right? That's, that's all we do. Sometimes that's hard because we have emotions, but uh, we do that. And, you know, we always say we can do this together. We hold hands. Si se puede, right? We absolutely can. Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, is that on Mondays and Wednesdays, we start with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why do we have to be besieged by these terms? The truth is when we start to understand these terms, we can get to more progress quicker. So I always say if it saves us time and money, then we can take a minute to talk about it, but we can't get overwhelmed by it, right? And so often when you're talking to an expert, the jargon avalanche comes, and I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed and, and I get fatutzed very quickly because I'm frustrated. If I'm there trying to help my family and my kid and, and I'm asking you for help and you come at me with a wall of jargon, I get a little cranky. Um, Simon, hello. Never heard the pony acronym. I think we might have invented it. I don't know. But I but do you like it? Tell me, do you do you have a thumbs up for it? Um, and everybody gets to identify themselves differently. So, but let me know if you like it or not. I'm loving it. Uh so, so I feel sparkly because I get to be a pony. Um, and I want to feel sparkly about it because that's what's helpful to my son. Uh, right? I want to be a good ally. So uh, anyway, back to the jargon, uh, we, what we do here, this is how we approach it. We first, we identify the word, the phrase, the act acronym. We then give you an actual definition. Sometimes, occasionally, I might make fun of the actual definition because it's just chock full of more jargon. Not always though. Um, sometimes it's very serious business, right? And sometimes the definition isn't horrible, right? But then we always give you a working definition, which is just in layman's terms, what it is that we're talking about. Sometimes that isn't even helpful. But then we try to give you a context to understand what it is and why it might be helpful to you. Why this thing, you probably already know what it is. You just didn't know what the term is. And now that you know the term, you can either ask for it or say, I want more information about it. You know what I mean? You can get more done. So that's where we're coming from. Uh, Simon gave us two thumbs up on the pony. Uh, Simon said, I'm autistic and my mom loves working with horses. So it's a win-win for us. Fantastic. I love that, Simon. All good. Okay. So back to the jargon of the day. Uh, we're, we've been trying this year to only do jargon that we haven't done before. And we've been shocked, shocked that some of these terms we haven't done before because they're things that come up on a regular basis. So uh, today's a jargon term. We, we talked a little bit about, um, stereotypy yesterday on the program, but we didn't talk, we talked about vocal stereotypy. Today, we want to talk about visual stereotypy, what that is and why we might be interested to know what that is. So let's take a look at what our actual definition for visual stereotypy is. Repetitive and stereotypic behaviors that are sensory seeking for the visual sense. Here's a typical uh, definition for jargon where they take one of the words in it and just change the, the, the suffix for it. And then suddenly they feel like, oh, we, we made it clearer for you. If you don't know what stereotypy is, and then you hear it's a stereotypical behavior, I don't know that you're any closer to knowing what that is, right? But we get a sense here, repetitive and mm, behaviors 
that are seeking a sensory seeking for the visual sense. All right. We just sort of rearrange the words. Let's take a look at what our working definition is and see if we can't get down to business here and give some examples here. I think it gives us examples. Looking, here are just examples of visual stereotypy, looking at lights, looking at items out of the corner of your eye, flapping your hands in front of your eyes, etc. So when I am seeking information, um, and remember, I can be seeking information to help calm me down, or I can seek, I can seek information, sensory information to wake me up, to keep me involved. Um, I can, I can, uh, you know, we're always seeking something sensory, all of us, all of us, all the time. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm here in a room and I don't have a fan on and I'm hepped up. So I'm starting to sweat a little bit. And, you know, at some point I might, you know, threaten to take off my sweater because I'm seeking to be cooler, right? All of us are regulating ourselves to some degree sensory wise, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even in your sleep, you do it, right? What we see for, and we, and all of us seek uh, visual sensation at some point as well. So first of all, I just want to say, let's not stigmatize right? We're all seeking this to some degree. When we talk about this as stereotypy, though, um, we're, we're talking about it's, it's at a level where the person, it's pretty repetitive. It's pretty regular that they're doing it and that it's, there's a potential that the need isn't being totally fulfilled. Um, you know, I, there, I know people who, for instance, love watching things that have strobe lights right? That's just really exciting to them. It's exciting to their senses. I can't handle it at all, at all. So if we were to put on a strobe light and say, how much does Shannon need? Negative five is how much Shannon needs. But someone else might enjoy it for 15 minutes until they're fully what they would call satiated. They've had their fill of it. All right, I've had enough now. You can turn off the strobe light, right? And what we see is that um, a lot of people, not everyone on the autism spectrum, has a great need, have a great need for that visual uh, sense to be fulfilled and that um, it seems endless how much to fulfill it. That we will, my son's visual stereotypy, he actually had a lot of visual stereotypy, but one of the things that he would do is that he would frequently look at things in the corner of his eye. And if it was twirling, he super, super duper loved that. Now. There's absolutely nothing in the world wrong with that, except that if we're trying to teach him how to write his name and all he wants to do is look at the pencil out of the corner of his eye, we're not going to be successful at teaching the writing, right? So there are a lot of things in life that we uh, want to be able to be able to regulate ourselves to say, I really like doing that and I'm going to find time to be able to do that, but it's not a compulsion that I have to do to the be all end all of everything else. And what we see sometimes, especially with young kids on the spectrum, is that they want to do the things that they want to do, the visual stereotypy that they want to engage in, they want to engage in it a lot to the exclusion of things that might help them, right? And then we get into a little bit of a battle. Well, they want to do it, but we want them to learn. Um, and I love the, the guest that we have today is someone who probably doesn't realize it, but she taught me more about this as a parent than anyone else. Because the example that I always give you guys is that Temple Grandin always tells us she wanted to spin the metal plate on her bed. And that her mom didn't say, well, you can never do that again. That's out. That can never be done again. She put limits on it and had her doing other things. I'm going to let her talk about that later. I'm going to let her tell that story. Um, so, uh, you know, and, I, and that approach freed me as a parent to look at this kind of thing in a different way. There was Eustacia putting those snowshoes in, into the snowbank for me as a way to understand my child. That's why today is so important. Okay, so let's move on then to our question of the day, and we'll cycle back to this when we have Eustacia in here. Uh, hopefully she'll be able to shed some light on all kinds of things uh, for us. But going to our visual uh, sense, what do you love to look at? What are the things that you're like, oh, I really need to do this and why? Uh, the very first producer that we ever had on Autism Live was Emily Goodwin. And Emily could not get through the day if she didn't watch a certain number of cat videos. 
And if Emily was having a hard day, she was like, I'm going to need some more cat videos today. And it was just her thing. Nobody's stigmatizing that, right? But it was her thing. It was what she needed. It took her to a happy place. What do you love to look at and why? What is it about it that makes you happy? We have folks on the spectrum who tell us that they love to look at colors um, and colors in a certain way that some of them uh, like to look at a certain type of painting, right? Uh, But what do you love? We want to know what you love to look at and why do you love to look at it, okay? Uh, So write that into us. And then I want to get on to our topic of the week because then I want to let Stacia come in and have the floor. Uh, So our topic this week, and by the way, thank you everybody for writing in uh, that you're loving the jargon. Hi, Joss. Hi, Amanda. Uh, I love this. And S-Shark, so happy to have you with us. Our topic this week is listening with all of the senses. That if we want to be the best uh, students in life, and you know, I always say that as far as autism goes, I want to be a good student and sit in the front row seat and raise my hand and ask questions a lot, right? I want to be a good ally. I want to be a good student in this community, right? Um, And anytime we want to be a good student, one of the first things that we can do to help ourselves is to listen with all of our senses. And we talked about this on Monday that, you know, so often we tend to be a society that thinks that the spoken word is the be all end all, right? That, that, you know, what someone says vocally is absolutely everything. And yet research tells us that it's only a small percentage of the communication that we learn in life, that, that maybe between 13 and and 18% of communication is vocal speech. That when you're, when someone is talking to you, what their face is doing um, t- sends you a bunch of information, what their body is doing, sends you a bunch of, bunch of information. And so if we can all listen with all of our senses, looking at the individual, seeing everything that is going on, then we will gain more insight into our fellow man. And I mean that literally, whether it's, our, you know, the individual that we love on the spectrum or the person who is having a hard time fulfilling our order at, at the post office, Right. Uh, so listening with all of our senses, but I do think that for those of us who are ponies or parents of individuals that are on the autism spectrum, however you classify yourself, that when we can get quiet ourselves and tune in with all of our senses to listen to our kids, I know when I was taught to do that, I had the biggest breakthrough in terms of being able, I always wanted to know exactly what my child was thinking. I wanted to be in the moment with him. Um, But my energy was so chaotic that it wasn't until I could get quiet and listen to him with all of my senses that I could have that connection that I craved so much. So um, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this, that this week, but it's time, my friends. Uh, I mentioned at the start of the show, she's my hero. I uh, think about her more often than she could ever realize because uh, she was a pioneer. I, I, I'm sure she would say she wasn't the first pioneer, but I, you know, I think she is one of the, one of the first pioneers who recorded what it was like, but she's going to tell us about others. Uh, Eustacia Cutler, she is amazing. She is, of course, Dr. Temple Grandin's mother, but uh, in her own right, uh, she has a Bachelor of Arts from Harvard. Hello. Let's not sneeze at that. Uh, She used to write school lessons for major TV networks. Did you know that? Uh, And she is an international speaker who has been at the forefront of talking about autism and social behavior and some of the confusions that people have about autism and the behavioral aspects of autism, some of which she's going to talk about right now. Uh, She has uh, a second book that's coming out in September, which we're going to talk to her about. It's coming out from Future Horizons. You know, I love Future Horizons. And we'll talk a little about that, about that. Her first book, A Thorn in My Pocket, which is her story about uh, the period of time raising Temple and what, what it was like for the family absolutely amazing. I think it should be required reading. I want to welcome back to the show, Eustacia Cutler. Well, thank you. Good morning. And what, a, and what a pleasure. And and it's so great, Shannon, what you're doing. This is the most necessary thing of all, because our children are stuck at a certain point. 
And the more we understand, the more we can help them get unstuck. And Amen. one of the things I found uh, in, in exploring the past, which is the book, what it's about, it's the social history of autism, I stumbled into something I hadn't realized before, and that is symbolic thinking. Uh, what We don't think of speech as symbolic. We just say, oh, it's natural. We, it's just what we do. It's not natural. It's learned. And we forget that what it really is, is we turned our little animal noises, our barks and our meows, uh, into tiny little sounds that we call words. And we strung them together. And we talked. And when you look at our alphabet, we have 26 little symbols that stand for sounds. And with them, we can write what we think. This is very hard for a lot of autistic kids. They, they don't get it at all. And one of the signs of it is uh, how they play with toys. And one of the things you speak of Harvard, when I was there, I was fortunate. Eric Erickson was uh, there for a stretch and was the most popular undergraduate course that they had there. And he was talking about identity and the life cycle. He began with children. Uh, and he said, uh, the way children play with toys will be the way they play with thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, I began to pull that apart a bit. And I went to Dr. Catherine Lord, who uh, is a wonderful combination teacher and explorer. And she's found what she discovered was when mothers brought their children to her and were anxious about their behavior, she sat with them on the floor and played with them with blocks. She would pick with the moms. Up. You're talking with, about with the moms. Uh, no, no uh, you're right. Excuse me. I, I skipped a beat. She would, the child, the okay. mom would come to her with her child. Then okay. she would say, let me, let me see your child alone. Ah, thank you. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm so excited about what I wanted to get to. <laughs> well, I don't want to interrupt you. I just wanted to clarify. Go right ahead. Yes, absolutely. And uh, what she would do is sit down on the floor and with the child and a whole lot of blocks on the floor. And she would pick up a block and swing it through the air. And she would say, zoom, I'm a plane. Now, a lot of children, particularly a boy, who pick up a block and push it across the floor and say, brum, I'm a truck. They have both of them made the block stand for an object. And they've also added the sound that that object makes. That's symbolic thinking. And a lot of autistic kids have trouble with that. And Kathy Lord told me, she said, when I see them start to line up their blocks, I know they're autistic. They do not understand symbolic thinking. They do not play symbolically. And then we both talked about the fact that uh, children draw symbolically. They make a square and then they put a triangle on top of it and they say, that's my house. It's a symbolic drawing. Children who are autistic, who particularly those who have real art talent, will draw the scene. They do not symbolize it. That's fascinating, Stacia. And absolutely fascinating. I, I, I found once I began to understand that, which I hadn't really before, it gave me another way to look at the history of autism. How does this manifest itself in the past? And how is it showing up? Uh, how do we help our children once we understand that problem? Yes. And so this, you, you've written a book. Tell us what the title of the book is. It's out in September. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. It's called Autism and Us, 
oldest time. Autism has always been with us. Uh, we just didn't have a name for it. Uh, oh, you want me to plunge into changelings? Oh, well, I, first I want to, I, I do want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about one of the things that you say is that we need more precise information on autism. And I want you to talk a little bit about what you mean by that and, and guide us, Eustacia. Tell us what you think should happen. Well, exactly what you're doing now, Shannon, and what I hope I'm doing. The more you understand what's, what's not working, the more you can help it to work. Because with little children, their brains aren't fully grown yet. And the, 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 way, the way the promoters of our gene, I love the man who said about, uh, about this, the genes, uh, autism is genetic, as we all know. But genes are not the predictable little uh, uh, persuasionists we thought they were. The way their promoters turn on and off depends on external experience. So what you're trying to do is to get this child, we're the external experience for the child. So once you begin to understand that, you think, okay, let's sit down and play with the blocks ourselves until and they would, they may catch on to the idea the brain isn't fully grown yet it's in the process of growing the autism hasn't fully settled in and that's why it's important to know what your to know yourself what the problem is and how to go about helping it yeah it's interesting we we uh, on tomorrow's show we're going to be talking a lot about perspective taking and and what that means. And I think so often the world says, well, you know, people who are on the autism spectrum have a have a disability uh, as far as perspective taking, that they're not good at it. And yet the more times I go around the sun, Eustacia, the more convinced I become that it is those of us who are not on the spectrum who have a problem with perspective taking and that we don't do enough of what you just talked about, about taking a moment and and see you know investigating like the blocks yes. first with our own perspective but then thinking what is it like for my child from their point of yeah. view with their brain i don't think we do enough of that i and don't yet, either and, and yet here it is it's april autism awareness month we keep ringing that bell, bell you know but we're not doing what you're talking about no, but you we don't do it if we don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> because the problem is autism doesn't get us and we don't get autism. It's a double it's a double whammy. Yes. Yes. So what do we need to do, Eustacia? Teach well, us. <laughs> I I would now, if I was with a child, I would do what Kathy did. I would uh, Kathy Lord, the teacher. Uh, I would sit down with them and play with them with blocks regularly all the time. I think one of the things they need is consistency. And with consistency, they get a certain sense of expectation. This is what we're going to do today. We're going to make these blocks stand for trucks, if it's a little boy. Uh, and where would you drive your truck? Now you've, he's got to, you've asked the child to make the block stand for a truck. He may, he may not, but he may catch on, mm -hmm. particularly if you're making sounds with it. What does a truck sound like? You've got to guide them in. I love this. I don't know if you know this, Eustacia, but um, one of the big things that we do here on Autism Live is every year we put out a toy and gift guide. And we talk a lot about play um, on the show. And some of our jargon terms in the past have been talking about functional pretend play, talking about symbolic play, talking about sociodramatic play, because one of the things that I believe is that, and I think a lot of people believe this, is that Play is the safe place in which our children can practice a skill 
And even if they fail, it's safe. So I'm loving what you're saying about play um, and that it can, because what I'm hearing you say is that it's, it is a safe place to work on symbolism, which may be difficult yeah. for our children, but that it's a safe place to do it. But there are a lot of, there, that's one particular uh, aspect. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about it was because I didn't take it in until I began to study the past. Interesting. And so this book is coming out in September. And, and I know when I've talked to you before, you had brought up the wild boy of, oh, yes. of oh. Aveyron. Is that uh, what uh, Aveyron. Aveyron. Aveyron, yeah. And, um, yeah. and tell us a little bit about that, because in well, your history, the social oh, history of autism, the, you, you talk a little bit about this. It, it's the first actual description recorded by a young doctor named Itard in France, <clears throat> in Aveyron, where this little boy turned up. And they, the, the neighbors had tried to kill him, the, the men had. And uh, he had a scar on his neck that looked to be about two years old. And this boy had lived in the woods. And his mother may have encouraged that. She feared for his life. And he feared for his life. Uh, I don't think he was quite as wild as uh, the neighborhood thought. The women who lived around there knew he would turn up at their doors ragged and hungry. And they'd feed him and say nothing because they knew he was being pursued for the wrong reasons. And I think he was rescued by the local abbot, who was a, a biology professor. and. The, they were beginning to understand more about biology. He put this boy, kept this boy with him to keep these men from killing him, and uh, kept him in the priory and became aware that he was certainly a very odd little boy, but one that deserved to be studied. And the abbot got in touch with Dr. Pinel in Paris the famous doctor who freed the insane, took the chains off them and released them, said this is not the way to help them. I think I did, there is no quite, quite record of that. There is only Dr. Etard's record. At that time, Etard was a medical student under Pinel. And my guess is Dr. Pinel sent him to Aveyron and brought him back to Paris which saved his life, and then began to teach him. Now, it's a, a fascinating era. I don't know how much you want to go into it, but uh, that didn't make it easy. He, had to, he took uh, Victor into his own house because he couldn't talk. First, he thought he was deaf and put him in an institution for the deaf. And of course, he wasn't deaf. And he realized that, so he took him into his own house to live with him. And he thought he would, now the reason he wanted him to speak was, the church said at that time, if you cannot speak the word of God, you are not human. You know, the opening of the, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, if you couldn't speak, you were not a member of God's community. So it was important to try to get Victor to speak. He couldn't, but he did establish him. And so did, and Pinel must have been in on it. And one of the reasons I think so is the movie that uh, was made about him that, uh, 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 Truffaut. Friends, yeah, Truffaut. Do you, do you know who Truffaut, Truffaut was? Yes. Truffaut, yes. the movie maker, made a movie called L'Enfant Sauvage, The Wild Child. And he played the part of Dr. Etard himself. And, and one of the wonderful scenes in it, and for anybody who's interested at all in autism, whether personally, out of need, or just in general, go find that film. The wild child, and the scene where Etard 
and Dr. Pinell talk about the child, and the child, for the first time, sees himself in a mirror. Mm. Mm. And How does he react? Because I haven't seen the movie, Eustacia. Well, in, in the movie, he kind of puts his hands over it. Here's this image of himself. Interesting. Uh, but it was, it was new to him. And he lived, with, he lived out his life with Dr. Etard and the housekeeper. And in fact, I didn't know this until you had talked about this before. And then I looked it up a little bit. And, and I understand that Dr. Etard is considered the sort of the, the father of the thinking behind how we teach people who are yeah. uh, developmentally delayed. Yes. Some, some of the things that he did shaped how people would go on to teach for centuries. Yes, uh, absolutely. And out of it also, I don't know how much it came for, for uh, Victor, but for a lot of people who were born deaf, it was a, a boon was sign language, which mm-hmm. developed about that time. And so interesting. So that's just one of the stories that you talk about in your book. <coughs> Excuse me, what else? Uh, well, one of the things that's on my mind now is how there are two legends about autism that seem to be circulating at the moment, and they're both wrong. And I don't know. I can only describe them. I don't know quite. Maybe you'll have an idea of how do we go about it. But uh, the, the problem is people either see autism as some kind of strange and dreadful disorder you get if you get inoculations. Now, this didn't just start with COVID. This was there with measles a long time ago. I don't know where it comes from, but it's you don't want the dread disorder. Now, the other story about it uh, is the entertainment story. The, the various men, they're all male characters that are turning up who uh, have this disability, but this strange, it gives them a strange ability at the same time. They're magic. And uh, Sherlock Holmes is now declared to be autistic. I think Conan Doyle just invented him. I don't think. But he, he's portrayed that way now. And people have come to me and said, just ordinary people every day. Not, they don't have autistic kids. They just say, what, what's going on? Explain it to us. And I could only say, well, these are both both of the myths. Well, maybe, I, you know, what I would love to hear as, as someone that I do think of as, as the pioneer that, um, you know, you, you forged a path where there wasn't one, uh, Eustacia. So, you know, while, while we have you here on today's show, maybe if you would take a minute and tell us what you think about autism now from the perspective of where you were. Because how old was Temple when, when you first heard the word autism? I didn't hear it until I took Temple at the age of two to Children's Hospital in Boston because she couldn't speak to what was called then the Judge Baker Guidance Clinic. And they examined Temple very carefully. And that was when I first heard the word autism. And they said, she's autistic. And we recommend- So what year was that? What they they did was, so they said, speech lessons. We think she's going to talk, but let's speed up the process. And they told me who to go to. Amazing. Because a lot of people even now go and get a diagnosis and they don't refer them anywhere. You have to go look for it yourself. Exactly, but they did. You see, part of the point, I love the fact that this clinic was set up by a judge named Baker who had seen these children in court and they came up in court with the old fashioned word stubborn child. And he knew this was wrong. And he uh, gave money to set up this guidance clinic because he felt if you start with them young, we, we do not need to have this happen or we can certainly improve it. 
we may not make it perfect. But what what I loved was they did that the the doctor told me who to go to, gave me her phone number. Temple went there and she went there, took her till she was nearly five before she could talk. Mm. Uh, I think that's what's always made me interested in what's going on. It's what led me into symbolic thinking was why, what was holding it up? Uh, and she's not the only one. It's a very, it's a very usual problem. At the end of five, when she was approaching five, they told me where to go to the next teacher. These teachers knew each other. There wasn't the kind of systems there are today, but there were knowledgeable women working in this field who knew each other. And they mm. passed me one to another, and they taught me. It wasn't just Temple who had to learn. We both had to learn. Yeah. And probably, you know, everybody else in the household, right? Yes. We we had to see, well, that's a dark story. Well, we don't want to go there. <laughs> I don't uh, think I, I just assume not. At, yeah. Not right now. I'll, no, no. Uh, uh, we don't but need it, to do that. It, it's, it wasn't that easy. Yeah. Well, but, I think that's the, that's the understatement of the world, right? Because when I think about you, Eustacia, because um, what year was this? What year what, what did you take her to that first, uh, to the judge's place? Yes, Judge Baker Gardens Clinic, yes. What year was that? Uh, that was, she was two. She was born in 1947. So this was okay. 49. 49. So, I mean, when you think about what the world was like in 1949. Well, the expression autism had only been around for a couple of years. Yeah. And and there was no internet for you to go Google and go, oh, oh you know, where should I take her? Uh, you were only given the one choice, but you followed through on it. But, but then, I, but then this path that you took, you really, you didn't have a community of other mothers to cheer you on. You were pretty much on that path yeah. as a mom by yourself. Um, this much. is why I say I had hero. a nice neighborhood. They, I could explain that much to them, and that helps a great deal. Yeah. And they accepted Temple into the neighborhood. And Temple, one of her early lessons, and it was one of her early remarks to me about it was, if I don't play the games the way the other children do, they won't let me play with them. So she had a choice. You know, you don't have to play if you don't want to, but if you want to play with us, you have to play the rule of the, think of the way the game goes. And, and you can see that in so much of Temple, the way she approaches the world, she understands, she like understands. a lot of people on the spectrum, that that there is a logical, if you do this, then you won't get to do this, that there are... Yes, there are it, it made sense to her. Yeah. And it made yeah. it worth her while to learn how to play that game. Yes. And she says that you taking her to participate in local theater was something that was really good for her. Yes, it was good for all my children. I think children love theater. Yeah. And but what but I sometimes did, to be the person what, painting the scenery, sometimes having one line. Well, it was, it, uh, it was uh, more to the one line. Uh, it was the local school where they had taken in Temple, and they too understood this and said, we will accept Temple because we think we can work with you. We have turned down other children where we didn't think we could work with the family. Amazing. Yeah. But in return, I helped by running the school fair and adding a little show to it and putting all the parents in the show and the children in the show. And children loved having dad make a fool of himself. And Temple loved it. I can hear her now pedaling her bike around the neighborhood, singing the song that we'd made up to go with the show. Amazing. It's another way that I followed in your footsteps, Eustacia, because I heard you say that, and I had been struggling with my sons pre through preschool and into elementary, just struggling with them. And I, uh, my, my degrees are in theater. I have a, a BA and an MFA in theater. And I wasn't volunteering in that way at his school. So I went to my son's school and said, 
I'm, what do you need me to do? Um, I can direct a play. And every year after that, I would direct a women in history play um, that the entire third grade would participate in. Yes. And, but I did that because you put that idea in my head that that was a well, better I had way done to the access same thing. the community. I worked in the theater too. I know. And, and You're my hero. That, I know. It, it, uh, <laughs> I saw with this, I can do this. Yes. Yeah. We're not putting on something very complicated. But, but I also love that you talked about how there was a tribe around Temple because of some of these things. And, and that was how I built the tribe around my son was through directing the school play every year. Even, yes. even it was only third grade and, and there was only one year that my son was in third grade and the rest of the years I still directed the third graders and well, all those kids and all the, yeah. And all those kids and all, and all their parents came to know me and our son and we built our tribe that way because of you, Eustacia. Well, thank you. I, I don't think I deserve all that credit, but it works. It does work. It works and, for us too. And that's what's important. Yes. But now at this point where, you know, Temple and all the things that she has done, I can't even imagine how proud you must be. Um, mm -hmm. You've got to have a perspective that is just unique, Eustacia. So. Maybe if, you know, we've got about 10 minutes left, maybe if you could take a little time and tell us where you're at right now, what, what your thoughts on autism are and, and what you would like to see happen. Uh, that's a gosh. Uh, well, for, for starters, can I ask you a question yeah, about your son? How old yes. is he? So he's 18 now and Always. he's finishing his freshman year of college. Oh, and how and, did how did the getting in? That's a wonderful area. Oh, you need to talk to Sally Burton Hoyle. She you know, we had Sally me. Burton. We actually had Sally Burton Hoyle on last year after you were on. Oh. And we had a wonderful discussion. And because my, my son was a, a senior in high school. And the last time we talked, you were like, oh, Shannon, you got to talk to her. And I did. And my son is doing great in college. and. Um, I feel like a lot of that was because I talked to her and knew the things to do for, for myself to yes. be ready to be of support. Yes. Um, but um, yes, we, we've been incredibly lucky uh, in that we've had people like you to steer us as we've gone into different things, either things that you've said or people that you've said to go to. Um, but you know, my son was someone who was considered largely nonverbal. He, he, he had a couple of words that he would say, but they weren't purposeful. He would just repeat the word dog over and over and over again, Eustacia. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, now he is fully verbal Beautiful. in every way that there is verbal, not just vocal, but in all of those ways, and is studying to be a screenwriter. Oh, but you see, it can be, they can be guided out of the woods. Yes. And I think you bring up the theater. One of the things I found in studying the past was, yes, we began to develop science and that helped. But where I found it most alive was in the Victorian novels. The novelists, they didn't have the name for it, but they made characters. If you, if you look at Nicholas Nickleby, the character yeah. of Smike. He's autistic. Wow. Never he saw that talk. before. He's not, he's not dumb. He's not, by that I mean, he's, he's not uh, limited in any intelligence. He's yeah. limited in the way of an autistic boy. Interesting. Interesting. And, and then go read, it's in, um, it's in Our Mutual Friend. Uh, Jenny Wren, the doll's dressmaker. Well, I don't know that. Well, read it. Okay, the Go dressmaker. Because you will, the doll, no, the doll's dressmaker. The doll's she dressmaker. She made clothes for dolls. Okay. And there's a character in there that's on the spectrum? Uh, she is on the spectrum. Interesting. Jenny Wren, the doll's dressmaker. Interesting. And so what, what, and, and that's Victorian era? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's also Dickens. 
Oh, I didn't even know it's that. Both these, it's both these characters. One is from uh, uh, Nicholas Nickleby, and one is from uh, Our Mutual Friend. <clears throat> okay. I see. The title of it is Our Mutual Friend. But then I I looked at uh, the story of... Uh, uh, now his name is... Have I written it down somewhere? Because one of the things I find is names slide out of my head. Uh he wrote uh he wrote Bartleby the Scribner. Of, oh, uh, uh, it's Melville, uh, right? Yes, Melville. Melville. That's just what I'm trying to say. Well, he's Asperger without any question. Interesting. And when you read Billy Budd very carefully, you think, why is he always portrayed as a grown man? He isn't a grown man. They describe it, it's described as not yet having a beard. And the old mm. sailors call him Baby Bud. Mm. And he can't talk, but he can sing. And he has certain traits, you think, he's Asperger. And a lot of these Asperger boys must have gone to sea because they'd be very good at knowing the ropes. And they would not be frightened to climb up a mast that's three stories high. And hang on to the right ropes and get them through the storm. Wow. I'm going to have to go back and look at all. I mean, obviously, I, you know, you're taking me back to 11th grade English with Barbie. Well, yes, Scrimmer. a little bit. I but need to I go back, back and reread it. It'll look different to you now from the way it looked to you in 11th grade. I'm quite sure. Wow. Fascinating. And. And so are in, in your new book, do you talk about all of these different things? Yes, yes, uh, I, uh, I did. I, uh, and gave a lot of time to uh, Billy Budd and to Bartleby the Scribner because they're both tragic stories. And somehow uh, the, the uh, Billy Budd story, I think, came out of a cousin of his who was on a boat where this hanging took place. And the, the cousin was bothered by it because they'd had to follow instructions from England in a war. And he knew this it wasn't right to hang this boy. And I think the two of them talked it over. Mm. And Fascinating. It, yeah, I did, I did write about that because oh. I thought this puts a whole other slant on the story. And when you go look at <clears throat> what you were probably taught in 11th grade is, oh, it's a battle between good and evil. Yeah. No, it isn't. It's a much more subtle battle. Stacia, it's that thing about, you know, blowing the wig off uh, here. <laughs> so uh, fascinating. So in September, this, this book is going to come out. And tell us again what the title of it is. The title of it is Autism and Us, Old as Time. And then it will have a subtitle. Uh, I love the cover. See if I can find it. I have a printout of it. And maybe I can lay my hands on it. I love it. The cover is going to have the handprints from 40,000 years ago all um, over it, reaching out to one. Hang on a minute. See if I can find it. Iggy Schmitz, Schmitz has written in and said, oh and, my goodness, I never the, thought. Under, under title is uh, a social uh, a social history of autism. Yes. Um, Iggy has written in and said, oh my goodness, I never thought I'd have the chance, but here you are, Eustacia. Thank you so, so very much to you and Dr. Granin for all your wonderful advice. And they say, and Jane Austen novels are full of autistic characters. Pride Absolutely. Has several now, see, help me because I'm a big Jane Austen fan. Who is on the spectrum in uh, Pride and Prejudice? I don't, I don't get that, Iggy. Tell me who. Oh, uh, I'd have to go back and look at it. I. But maybe Iggy knows because Iggy brought it up. So write in and tell us, Iggy. That's uh, yeah. Well, I, I'd have to look at it again. I'm now going through all uh, the. But I will. All the Jane Austen novels, and I don't well, remember uh, seeing autism anywhere. But now I want to know. Well, uh, there were the three sisters. And there was the sister that got into trouble. Who? Is that? I, I haven't, I haven't, I'd have to go back. All right. Well, uh, Iggy's going to write in and tell us. Uh, uh, Adelaide has said, I've, not I've started noticing the autistic character in all my favorite TV shows. They never stated yeah. outright, but the behaviors of the characters line up to a few. Absolutely. And now... 
they're starting to identify storylines and characters and they are starting to say this character is someone who has a diagnosis. But I agree. I now go back and look at a lot of things on television and go, oh, well, that character is on the spectrum. Um, even, you know, I don't know how many movies you got to watch during the, the pandemic, but I was a big one saying, I don't, no one else was talking about it, but um, in the, the movie, I didn't even like the movie, The Power of the Dog. I felt like one of the leading characters was on the I, spectrum. Well, The Power of the Dog, I thought it was quite a wonderful movie in a strange way. As soon as it was finished, I thought, I want to see it all over again, because mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm putting this together right. Yeah. And I think you're right. I hadn't thought of it in terms of autism. I, I absolutely, was, two minutes in, I uh, thought that one of the leading characters was on the spectrum. Uh, well, well, he's very odd. And that, that is the power of the dog. Well, and that part of it, I, I liked. I just didn't like the rest of it. It wasn't my favorite movie. Um, but a lot of people loved it. Everybody's entitled to their well, opinion. I, I, I want to see it again. Because it, 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 things went by too fast for me to evaluate. It's not like a book when you're, when you're at the movies. You can't say, wait a minute, turn back there. I want to reread that passage as right. you do it with a book. But you reread and you think, oh, okay, now I see how this moves along. So Mary, or excuse me, Iggy has said about Pride and Prejudice, maybe the younger sister, Mary. Well, I never thought about that before. She's the one that always plays. And, and also the cousin who was the minister who married the neighbor. Never really thought about that before. He well, seems very yeah, over well, I'd, social. I'd like to, I'll, what, what, she makes me curious. Yes. I have to go back and reread it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and look at it too. But maybe I could definitely see Mary. Um, I don't, well, I don't know about the minister. I think, I think by bringing these characters forward, it would be a great help just to the general population. Cause I can see the, the confusion and, yeah. and, and people have come and asked me directly, what are we supposed to think? Yes. What are we supposed to think? You say, well, for one thing, I firmly believe there are no answers. There are only choices, but you can change choices, and choices will change you. Oh, uh, well. And, and on that note, Eustacia, we're out of time, unbelievably. Oh, thank you for giving me time. Oh, my goodness. It's we we have pleasure. time for you always, and I just adore you. I uh, want to remind everybody that your new book is going to be coming out from Future Horizons. Yes. Uh, your your book, A Thorn in My Pocket, exists right now, and they can order it on Amazon, or you can always go to fhautism.com, that's futurehorizonautism.com, and you can order um, Eustacia's books, you can order Temple's books. Um, they, they, they tend to have the best books. I'm not saying that because my book is coming out from Future Horizons in July. That's oh, just yes. a coincidence. <laughs> but. Yes. But um, it is but the they, reason they why. Do, and I think I, I, they do. They know more. And they. Uh, I hope the time will come again when they can do the conferences that they used to do. I believe that's starting again in the fall, in fact. So oh, I hope so. I, and I hope that I get to meet you at one of those, Eustacia. I, I too. Would, we we have to meet in person. I know. I keep saying to people, I you know that I've I've had the opportunity to talk to you before on a couple of different occasions. It's not the same thing as being in the room. I for years I, I keep planning trips to New York um, so that I can have an excuse to come and see you, and then pandemics and things happen. You know, that yes. Well, we have not seen the last of each other. All right, fantastic. I'll take that as a promise. Uh, I want to thank you for being here today and for all that you do and tell people, check out your books. You can order them on Amazon uh, or on fhautism.com. I also want to remind everybody that we will be back tomorrow. We've got two amazing guests on Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got an amazing uh, music um, therapist who has a new book out about autism and music. Can't wait to talk to her. And Maya Sunderberg is going to join us again. She's an amazing young self-advocate, a woman who wants to share with us news about how her dating life is going and her podcast, uh, Hello World with Maya. 
Uh, so we're going to have her on as well tomorrow. So please tune in for that. And don't forget that Dr. Temple Grandin is going to be joining us on Monday live. So uh, we will be thrilled to have your daughter back with us, Eustacia. Great. <laughs> all right. Well, we're, that's you. all the time we have for today. But thank you, everybody, for being here. And we will look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.